0: Hello everybody! So today we're gonna talk about sleep paralysis which is a quite an interesting altered state of consciousness that is surprisingly common but before we do that the quality of the day is this particular type of pasta that is called giggly Uh, it's also called uh, um, campanelle I believe and uh, it's quite interesting I mean it's uh, kind of this cone shaped together with uh, rigged edges and um, it is actually, literally, from a geometric point of view, a hyperbolic pasta. And the thing is that, you know, hyperbolic pasta in some sense is going to be maximizing surface area um, relative to the overall volume of it. And you know, one of the fascinating things about it is that the type of surface area that you have in your pasta will determine, you know, how much sus each bite contains. So. I think this is definitely uh moving in you know this uh, you know in the in the optimization gradient towards you know pasta that maximally holds as much sauce as possible which I think it's a you know fascinating topic and of course cultural evolution would suggest that the you know popular pastas probably have some interesting culinary properties uh just based on their shape although I suspect that yeah you know designing it mathematically or with a you know evolutionary algorithm or with deep learning we can probably find uh, completely new uh, versions of, uh, you know, pasta that actually maximise a particular variable, like you know how much, how many chunks of uh, tomato you can uh, fit in it, uh, probabilistically. All right, so <laughs> that's uh, enough about hyperbolic pasta. Let's move on to the topic of the day, which is uh, sleep paralysis. So, for those of you who haven't uh, experienced it, it's uh, one of those relatively common things i believe about like one in 20 people experience them on a recurring basis and about like one in five people uh have experienced them or experienced them in their life and probably the number might be higher it's just that you don't always remember them or you may remember them as like a weird dream or a nightmare without like necessarily remembering the phenomenology that would indicate it was actually a yeah a sleep paralysis but um uh you know it's defining you know Features and characteristics is like the feeling of being stuck in your bed, uh, usually hallucinating in one way or another, feeling weird vibrations, pressure in your chest. Um, Oftentimes, a kind of a negative vibe to it, and uh, and uh, you can't wake up. It's kind of like this twilight place, and you know, neurologically, it has something to do with, you know, the chemicals that keep your body um, immobilized while you are, you know, dreaming are still on. while at the same time, you know, your brain has reached the arousal level of uh, wakefulness. So you're really paralyzed. That's why it's called sleep paralysis. And uh, I have quite a bit of experience with it. Uh, I was trying to do a Fermi estimate of how many times I've experienced sleep paralysis, and I'm coming to a number that is probably between 100 and 200. And uh, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna sound strange, (laughs) but I'm probably one of those cases where sleep paralysis has actually benefited my life. because it's roughly in the window of time a number of times where it's not common enough to actually be a problem and make me you know dread go to sleep Um, but it's also not rare enough that i've only glimpsed this state you know i've had enough experiences and especially enough like lucid sleep paralysis where i've been able to investigate the subjective qualities of it and in that sense I actually oddly feel grateful about the fact that I have had a, a good number of sleep paralysis and you know it probably peaked uh, at around like the age of 22 or something like that and like you know it's been declining since then but I think at the peak it was about like pretty reliably like one like twice per month um, now it's probably more in the once every month or once every six weeks range it still happens but it's not that rare and I guess a uh, yeah, I should mention like, okay, like what are things that increase the probability of it? And uh, definitely, you know, when you're like sleep deprived, um, when you're like very tired, caffeine naps, that's one of the reasons why I don't do caffeine naps, which is like you drink a cup of coffee and you immediately go to sleep, uh, which is a great, you know, kind of like a 20 minute power nap. The problem for me, at least, is that if I don't wake up, then it's very likely I'll enter into a Unpleasant sleep paralysis, especially because it's a, uh, you know, caffeinated sleep paralysis is not not that great. Uh, sleeping uh, on your back as opposed to on your side or in any other position that also increases the chances. Um, in my experience, uh, particular, you know, substances like there's these nootropic, quote-unquote nootropic supplement called uh, niacinamide. It's connected to NAD+, plus, which is something I've talked about before about <laughs> it's just... In concern uh, in relation to its usefulness for pencil withdrawal as well as like as an anti-aging supplement but niacinamide is really just kind of like a mild pretty mild uh relaxing agent that uh helps uh some people go to sleep with relatively few side effects also it helps uh you know coming down from a rough like lsd trip or something like that in the 60s they used to give niacinamide uh, to to patients actually uh, undergoing psychedelic therapy, they had a difficult time, they just wanted to go to sleep, and they didn't want to use something stronger, they would use niacinamide. Anyway, that is a risk factor, so to speak, for me to experiencing a uh, sleep paralysis, which is why I don't I don't take it on a on a regular basis. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's like other other things that also increase the probability of it, but that's that's what I could remember uh, in passing. Uh, okay, so let's get on to specific weird experiences because i wouldn't say there's only you know a sleep paralysis state it's more kind of like a cluster or like family of states and uh in some sense is some of the weirder states that you know more you know people who live in the straight and narrow who don't you know are drug naive or meditation naive you know they're likely to experience sleep paralysis as kind of like an outlier of like particularly odd odd state um And uh, I'll just mention a few weird things that I have experienced in sleep paralysis. Uh, First of all, uh, modality swap, um, or sorry, like trust in modality swap. Well, I've mentioned this anecdote before, but basically what happened was I once woke up and my visual field was stuck. And it was essentially just looking at a weird green image that I couldn't really make out. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but it was kind of like stuck it was more the low level features i mean kind of the the light sensations and the colors and the texture but not the objects in in the scene i couldn't tell that at the same time my touch was completely uh, functional i could like walk and move around in my in my room and uh, i even went to the bathroom and i opened the faucet and like washed my hands and like i felt you know the the water in my hands and it was super disconcerting to have like this visual field that refuses to update so that probably, I mean, it was, probably wasn't that long, maybe like 40 seconds or one minute, you know, like standing up from my bed and going to the bathroom. And then all of a sudden I realized that, hey, I could move my visual field by moving my head. And I realized that I was actually in my bed. And that what was going on was that I had been experiencing a sleep paralysis, but it was one where the visual input from my eyes was actually going into my you know sleep paralysis state, whereas my tactile experience was completely hallucinated. So it's very weird, you know. I had trusted my visual field. Um, sorry, I had trusted my tactile experiences and mistrusted my visual field, and I should have done the opposite. Uh, and of course, this has like you know a lot of, of <laughs> course, a metaphor for other things in life as well, right? Like where we. actually uh mistrust the one that we should trust and vice versa that creates a completely different uh, worldview as a consequence so that's that's a that's a really weird one um another one uh that happened uh was like i think in college at some point uh i was recovering from a cold uh i had uh arrived back to university um to my dorm and um Remember taking, I think, like a day quail, which is, you know, active constituents include like DXM and phenylophrine and guaifenesin, two of which are psychoactive, so which are like DXM and guaifenesin. no, and, uh, and phenylophrine. Phenylophrine is like a mild stimulant and DXM is like a dissociative. And like, you know, in high doses, DXM is a otherworldly, extremely bizarre state of consciousness way m- more strange than sleep paralysis by by a long shot, and also probably way more significant from the point of view of consciousness research. But, you know, in tiny doses, it's used as a anti tusive against, you know, coughing. Uh, and you know, I was like taking that for a legitimate purpose, you know, kind of relieving cold symptoms and just, you know, passing out. Uh, but, uh, and I don't know why they mix exactly those things. But I remember that I was kind of like overstimulated in my sleep because of the phenylophrine and also slightly and weirdly dissociated. But basically that ended up creating a very strange effect where parts of my visual field corresponded with real world or like the stimulation from from outside and parts of my visual field corresponded to dream scenes. And that was only in my visual field. That also happened in, in my tactile experience. So basically I had a weird and chaotic intermingling between actual sensations from the outside and hallucinated sensations. So it was kind of the the experience I just said before, you know, like where some aspects of your experience are hallucinated and some are are like actually from the input from outside, but rather than being like segregated by modality, in this case it was chaotic and it was like patches of each of the different modalities which, yeah, I'd imagine there was some kind of a toggling, uh, for sensory gating uh, in my nervous system, you know, catalyzed by the combination of sleep deprivation, recovering from a cold, DXM, phenylephrine, and going to sleep. And like <laughs> that generated that. And you know, it's never happened before. At the time it was really weird. And I even thought, like, I don't know, I'm having a stroke or something like, you know, I woke up it I was perfectly fine afterwards, but that was a super strange sleep paralysis. Um, Another thing to mention is kind of the depth of recursion, because there's a lot of reports, and I've experienced these, which is like sleep paralysis are intimately related with lucid dreaming, in that you can go on into kind of these re- recursive attempts of escaping. You, you escape your sleep paralysis only to realize that you're the place you woke up into is another version of your sleep paralysis. And you know, I've had this go on for like up to like five levels, and it's uh, really frustrating when it happens. It's like, no, you're you know ready to go, ready to get out of the bed. And like, no, uh, you're still in a sleep paralysis. It's just part of your sensation started to become dreamlike. Uh, yeah, so I guess like usually sleep paralysis have this tendency of basically mixing sleep paralysis, you know, qualia with like dreaming qualia. You can kind of go off on tangents and start dreaming. The previous experience that I was talking about was like, stranger still because it was sleep paralysis mixed in with like uh, outer stimuli in this chaotic way but yeah no usually sleep paralysis blends dream and and uh, actual sensory stimulation from from the outside uh usually in unpredictable ways um and uh, i guess what i wanted to say is that you know depth of recursion in sleep paralysis and lucid dreams is what i might call like narrative depth of recursion because there's something else and it's important to distinguish, especially to not devalue. I mean, like something like DMT has a profound depth of recursion, but that's like instantaneous in the moment. I mean, this is also the difference between time loops in the sense of the phenomenal time of your current experience is implementing a time loop, which feels that you experience the entire time loop at once and you're stuck. I mean, that's a very exotic and strange state as opposed to believing that you're repeating you know what you're experiencing over and over but in each of those moments of experience you don't feel the loop all at once i mean like that's that's a different thing it's kind of a conceptual recursion as opposed to like lived uh realized and rendered you know depth of recursion and and fractality and sleep paralysis are like much more in the narrative end they're not gonna generate like these crazy dmt recursive visuals like no that's not exactly you know (laughs) and for those who who say that you know dmt and is related to dreaming i mean the connection is very tenuous uh, honest i mean it's different temperature parameter different you know quali semantic primitives different veil, like valences uh the similarities only are there insofar as you know they're just different and exotic <laughs> so yeah anyway I would take with a grain of salt uh expecting to take the uh, and then experiencing something like a dreaming state which yeah that's not going to happen on the other hand um, you can specifically simulate some aspects of psychedelics if you basically believe that you took a psychedelic in a dream but it doesn't replicate it fully and it doesn't get to the same level of depth of recursion as actual psychedelics although it can go it can be more trippy than normal or like a normal dreams so so yeah there's a little bit of that but it's just a, a hint relative to the the real deal of like actually you know consuming DMT or something like that so uh moving on like I think like another one I've experienced this a number of times which is like radio playing uh and there's you know this really cool uh uh like alternative rock band called Dredge uh they have an album called El Cielo uh which is an entire album kind of like dedicated to the the dreaming states of consciousness or like guess like sleeping states of consciousness, you know, including like deep sleep and things like that. And they have a track <laughs> about, about, uh, the sleep paralysis, which, you know, if you listen to that track and you have never had a sleep paralysis, you have never heard of it. Even if you read the lyrics, you will probably not know what he's talking about, but he's like filled with references about like being paralyzed. And, and one of the lines is like, I too have heard the radio play and you know i totally relate to that experience that you're like stuck in bed and you can listen to the most wonderful music and you ask oh, wait who turned on the radio is, or like a, there's like a march right uh, like some like there's like a demonstration and they're marching and they're playing music you know outside of your window and of course all of that is hallucinated like none of that is happening but um it's quite fascinating and uh i have an article about dream music and dream music can be fascinating not only because of its melody not only because the melody can be very you know very elaborate and actually coherent it's more because of the quality of the sound that comes with a special type of valence that is wonderful i mean it's kind of like being wrapped up it's very engrossing it's kind of being in a cave with a lot of reverb and echo effects and i came to that conclusion because eventually in some sleep paralysis i tested whether playing just one pure tone, like not a melody, but just one pure tone, purposefully hallucinating one pure tone, would that be pleasant? And the answer was yes, very much so. It felt very much like an ohm. You know, when you're deeply in trance, like a single note can be very enveloping and beautiful and resonant. And that's what I experienced. In any any case, what I concluded (laughs) was that what makes dream music special is not the melody, although that can be interesting. It's the reverb and resonating and quality of the sound, which is, you know, from the symmetry theory of Valence point of view and QRI's paradigms. Yeah, it's because basically the neuroacoustics of your brain is altered in that state. And it's kind of like how when you are high, high on weed, you know, music can sound uh, much more uh, enveloping and pleasant. Likewise, when you're quote-unquote high on a sleep paralysis, hallucinated music has its own special, fascinating quality. Uh, okay, another one is powerful vibrations. Uh, I've also explored these uh, to some extent. Uh, and it, it seems like, you know, it, it's something that is kind of tricky because if you kindle all those vibrations when you're in a sleep paralysis, they can get completely out of control. So what you want to do, if you want to go to go play with play with those you know study them is to kind of like concentrate on your body and figure out like where there's like any kind of vibration building up and just giving it a little bit of energy but like controlling it from the very start like rather than just like pumping a lot of energy into it you know mental attention just a little bit and see if it grows and if it grows then try to lessen it and i have found that with the proper mindset you can basically keep a vibration at a certain level that is neither pleasant nor unpleasant is actually just like intense <laughs> intense but not, not overwhelming and uh, and that you can study basically using that you can study basically the consonants dissonance noise properties of of these vibrations and how they're associated with valence uh It's a very direct way of kind of uh, confirming or testing for yourself um you know, debunking for yourself that <laughs> consonants and dissonance in the nervous system is what drives, you know, the pleasure and pain that you experience. And uh, that's one of the many things that convinced me ultimately of the symmetry theory of valence, uh, your weird vibrations and their structure in sleep paralysis, how that's connected to valence. Um, if they do get overwhelming, that can be very unpleasant. So, this is definitely something uh, to be careful with. Uh, so I'm not even sure I can really recommend it with a clear conscience, but uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I would I would like more people to uh, explore that if uh, if they're psychologically uh, robust enough for it. Uh, another observation, uh, you know, set of experiences to to point to is uh, basically flying. You know, there's many ways of flying in dreams. Uh, classically, what people tend to report is like jumping. Another one, kind of like big jumps. So that's a very common way of for people to fly. Um, but also you can fly kind of like swimming. And uh, that's also an extremely common one. Um, As an aside, you can also just float. I mean, one thing that I did once in this uh, lucid dream was to make myself believe that I was filled with helium, that I was made of helium. And lo and behold, I started floating and floated really high. And it was quite amazing, and uh, that's something that also happens. You you can use that as a mechanic. Basically, any plausible story or plausible within the dream logic uh, (laughs) can allow you to to fly in interesting ways. You know, you you discover uh, you know new technology, or you put on you know the I don't know um, mega man you know boots or something. You can also use that. You know, but uh, in the case of sleep paralysis and how that's connected with flying. I think I've actually made a bit of a discovery here, which is, at least in my experience, the most natural, most common way of flying is, basically, you kind of treat the air as water or kind of like a viscous, a viscous medium. Now, this comes naturally, and I think it's because the medium actually is kind of viscous in that state, at least how you're phenomenologically rendering it. And I notice this because the resistance that you feel from your body when you're in sleep paralysis I think is that like you're trying to move and you feel this resistance. So if the sensory gating is not complete, you will get a residue of that viscous resistance. And I think that residue of viscous resistance basically feeds onto the content of your dream. So then you actually have a kind of like viscous air to play with. And one of the things that I have found is that basically your brain seeks some kind of like physical consistency. So that if you're pushing against the air, and it is pushing back against you because, you know, Newton's, you know, third law of, you know, classical mechanics, it's going to accelerate you forward or upward if you're doing it this way. So my interpretation of like why you actually fly so often, you know, in a swimming type of way is because your brain is seeking consistency. It's trying to basically maintain the the Newtonian, you know laws of physics in your world simulation kind of uh kind of real um that's why you need like excuses and in, in this, i mean in this particular case um it's like your brain is faced with the decision of like do i know how to fly can humans fly or newton's laws are false and i think this is way worse like this is like violating something deeper about how the brain you know organizes and renders perception than whether humans can fly or not so you know kind of in this balance of inconsistencies the brain is like well okay fine yes humans can fly but don't touch newton's laws those <laughs> do not those are not to be broken <laughs> um oh yeah i guess uh just to kind of like uh, wrap it, wrapping up here uh I also, yeah, it's also true. I think like when you're like really exhausted, especially if you've been doing like a project, there was a deadline, you pushed yourself really hard. That's also when I experience sleep paralysis or much higher chance. Uh, okay, so like finally to conclude, how to get out of sleep paralysis? Uh, this is an important question. I have found several methods and I'm sure if you experience sleep paralysis often, uh, you will probably have stumbled upon some of them. Uh, I mean, the first one is like sheer wheel. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds, you know, not very helpful, but, uh, I, you know, it's connected, I think, to dopamine to some extent, uh, people who abuse, um, like strong stimulants, they say they experience sleep paralysis for days after. And I think like if you're dopamine deprived, yeah, there's something about that, that makes it harder for you to basically have kind of muscle tone and truly command your muscles. Uh, but it's something you know it's kind of like you can swim uphill to some extent and sometimes that might be enough to wake you out of a sleep paralysis but you know if that doesn't work then okay don't keep trying just uh, move on to a different strategy holding your breath uh, this has worked quite a number of times and uh, also it's a way of like lessening the vibrations in your body if they get really intense it's like hold your breath and it's going to be difficult and somewhat uncomfortable, but I, you know, you can trust me that in the end it will be less uncomfortable than like being stuck for 15 minutes in one of those very unpleasant vibrations. Like that's for sure. So holding your breath is probably a pretty, uh, in my experience, it's fairly effective. Uh, if there's anybody around you that like whimpering, uh, I have found that like of all of the, you know, channels of communication that my body contains, Speaking is not you know, it's not very plausible. There's so many things that need to articulate and like muscle tone that like yeah, It's not gonna, It's not gonna work, but we uh kind of like uh, 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 That that is something you can do and uh, Often it freaks out people who are around and unfortunately most people will not recognize that as like a sign of distress they will think that you're just Dreaming or making, maybe like making fun of them, uh, which has actually happened to me. People, like once, like my <laughs> partner back in the day, like I think, uh, you know, the his reaction was like, oh, like Put Andre is like uh, uh, he's just like so cute having having a dream or something. Whereas like I was actually crying for help and I could hear that person and he's like, I really wanted them to wake me up. It's like what what on earth? Okay, so. Uh, but if you prearrange it, you know, if you're somebody who has sleep paralysis often, then you can talk in advance with whoever you sleep with or whoever is around, you know, your place, so that if they hear you whimpering, they should try to wake you up. And, uh, and oftentimes that will work. Uh, finally, the, the two last strategies that have uh, worked um, it's kind of this kindling or like rocking. So, like if you're pushing a swing, basically. So, I think like Uh, oftentimes you can do this with like your toes, for example, That like You've got to find the right frequency where to put like energy on your toes And at first it's gonna be really difficult. It's like pushing upstream or like, you know, lifting weights or whatever so like at first it's gonna be slow, but You keep doing it and you find the rhythm and The energy does build up and if you stop doing it, it dissipates Which is very frustrating for you if you pay attention and you keep the rhythm eventually you will notice that yes you can move you can move you can move you can move your feet you can move your legs and then finally you can exit the state and and you wake up so that's that's uh, one other strategy and the last one is uh, meditation like uh uh i mean definitely if you do loving kindness meditation isn't sleep paralysis is going to make it less unpleasant it may not wake you up you know and also I, i'm not sure if like mindfulness will wake you up but like noting meditation you know like paying super close attention to how sensations arise how they exist and how they dissipate and trying to do it like precisely and at the highest frequency possible will energize you and like especially if you do it like pretty quickly it will energize you and create like kind of these like resonance pattern at like maybe three or four hertz and that will stimulate you a bunch and it will wake you up and you know if it may even like wake you up and you may not even feel groggy because you've been accumulating this energy over the last several minutes in the process of meditating to to get up. Anyway, if you've had uh, experiences with sleep paralysis, anything novel or strange or interesting or strategies for how to get them, like get out of them. Yeah, definitely feel free to uh, comment. I'm I'm very curious about uh, other people's experiences. So yeah, well, thank you so much and uh, I'll see you next time.